Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the newest episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Or if you're listening to this in the future, one of the older episodes of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm your host, sounding a little scratchy for some reason, Scott Haskin. Don't know why. I'm not sick. I haven't really spoken much today. That's probably part of it. So my voice isn't warm. Um, yeah, that'd probably do it. So uh, welcome to another episode. I'm excited to bring you my buddy Tommy Schaefer. Tommy uh, owns a house that we shot a movie at a few years ago that uh, I really enjoyed working on. Um, it never got released. I scored the movie, I think, three different times for different um, purposes, and uh, it never, never came out. But uh, that's how it goes sometimes when you work in independent film. Um, what sucks, though, is that, you know, a lot of people put their hard work and labor into every project that goes on. And it really sucks when it never gets finished because all that hard work, you know, no one gets to see the fruit of all the labor. And honestly, it's really unfair to those people, especially if they're not getting paid, but even if they are getting paid, it's just not right to treat people that way. What amazes me is how many times I've seen that happen um, especially with with directors that'll have multiple pictures that uh, that they bring people on, spend all this money on costumes and set design and all this stuff, and everybody does all this work, and then the film never comes out, and then the next film they do doesn't come out, and then the next one they do doesn't come out. Why keep going back to these people? It's kind of pointless to me. Um, so I have a little less empathy if you are walking in knowing that that person or that group has a track record of not finishing things, but also what's the point from their perspective? Uh, really, you know, if you're in the business and you want to continue to work with good people, you have to treat them well. And part of that is giving them fruit for the labor. So do the best you can to finish your film, even if it takes a while, even if you just have to give them a rough cut. Um, if you can't finish it, you run out of money, whatever the situation is, but uh, get that to them. I worked on another film. Uh, unfortunately, now four people that uh, were in the film have now passed away and they never got to see any of the footage that uh, we worked very hard on. I wrote well over an hour of music for that film and uh, now it'll never be seen by anyone. And it really sucks. So if you're going to start a project, make sure you have a plan to finish it one way or the other, at least at the very least, put a rough cut together for everybody that was involved. They deserve it. So I don't know why I got off on that soapbox, but whatever. That's my soapbox for today or this week. And uh, let's talk about some good stuff. So as we're winding down the year towards the holidays, of course, I don't know when it starts for everybody, but a lot of people start to get really nostalgic. Uh, I'm no different. The weather typically does that to me, as does uh, the kind of music that the weather makes me want to listen to. So uh, today I was listening to a little bit of King Crimson's In the Court of the Crimson King, listen to some Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And I don't really listen to music a lot, but I have some times where uh, I'm freed up the audio side of my life is freed up a little bit and I can enjoy some work that some other people did. And, uh, uh, it's, it's really nice to be able to do that. But yeah, this time of year is definitely uh, King Crimson, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, um, early deep purple albums. The, uh, the first three, I think I, I came to a uh, connection with them for some reason. I want to say in the winter time, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but they're when I listened to them or when I got into them, I think the most. So that's why they sort of reflect that time of the year for me. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, Three Dog Night, I'm sure will be on my list here at some point soon. Uh, some Chick Corea, no doubt, although that's a little bit more summer for me. The uh, the electric band, 
with the albums uh, Beneath the Mask and Inside Out, which are, are two absolutely fantastic albums. If you're a fan of intense music, great musicianship, and uh, just some incredible breakneck-paced music, uh, really check that out. Chick Corea and the Electric Band. Uh, you had John Patitucci on bass, Dave Weckl on drums, Frank Gambali. Uh, just a, a, a great, great group of people doing some absolutely amazing stuff. I had the pleasure of meeting Dave a few years ago, we had just opened the uh, the Pro Sound store in Littleton, Colorado, and he came out for the grand opening. And uh, I I got to ask him. I said, you know, I heard that uh, that the the album Inside Out was written and recorded in two weeks. And he just smiled, and uh, and shook his head. He goes, No, that's not true. It was it was actually less. And if you've ever seen the sheet music, or you ever just listen to any of the songs you can go to, to youtube right now and, and hear some of the, the the tracks ignore the video because they they didn't film the recording so everything's kind of like that sort of uh stop frame stuff that's really weird to watch uh, but listen to the music and it's very very intense but a lot of it is is just uh soloing and improvs because they're the kind of guys that could do that with that kind of backup in, in the band and uh, just incredible stuff. But uh, Dave was great. It was a real surprise because I, even as the operations manager of the store, had no idea that he was coming. It was very last minute. Uh, he had a gig in Boulder the next night, so he agreed to fly out a night early and and come to the store and do an autograph signing. Uh, I got to spend a little time with him. A- absolutely great guy. Very talented drummer. Uh, somebody who's definitely had an influence on me as a drummer. Um but uh, but yeah, so this is the time. And then, of course, you know, you got the, the holiday scented candles. You got all the uh, the holiday treats and eats coming up. We've already started with Halloween. We'll be heading into Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And uh, it's that time when everybody starts thinking about uh, all the pounds that they're going to put on. But some of my friends have actually done something really interesting this year. They've actually made a plan to have their cheat days on holidays. And they they're, they've kind of scoped out what they're going to eat and what they're not so that they can stay on their diet or workout regimen and uh, not be too affected by the holidays. So I hope that they're all able to stick with that. I think that's a pretty good idea. Uh, for me, I just eat, you know, when I want to. Uh, <laughs> I uh, Once I move, then I'll uh, I'll have the, uh, the space and capacity to start working out again, which I really miss. Um, you know, I, as I've gained some pounds back, I certainly miss feeling a little bit healthier than I, I have as of late. But that's all for uh, for the fairly near future and good times ahead. Uh, but speaking of Thanksgiving, of course, you can't have Thanksgiving without Black Friday, which has already started, even though it's only today is the 5th of November when I'm recording this intro. And I've already seen that Black Holiday sales are going to be extended and they haven't even started yet. Uh, this is just just absolutely ridiculous how how crazy this gets every year. Um, I really feel for the people that work in retail and are, are high pressured or forced to leave their families on Thanksgiving, uh, regardless of my thoughts of Thanksgiving, which I have not been shy about saying this is just a stupid holiday, uh, not because the idea of having gratitude is stupid. I'm a huge fan of that. But the premise under which we celebrate Thanksgiving is absolutely just ridiculous, uh, if you know the history of the you know the Indians and all that. So, uh, But looking at the positive things about it, um, I, I love that people get together. I love that... Um, it's just a day to enjoy each other's companies and appreciate um, the hard work that people put into the food and, and you know, the, the relationships and everything. It's just a, a good day for people to be together. And uh, I, I like that part of it. The part I'm not liking is how 
uh, the Black Friday bullshit is starting earlier and earlier and uh, people get pulled away from their families because they work in a retail outlet and somebody thinks, well, if I open 15 minutes earlier, then I'll get all the traffic. Or if I open 20 minutes earlier than that guy, I'll get all the traffic. And, you know, uh, for what most so many people are going to buy online. There's uh, great deals online, free shipping with most places, especially, you know, companies like Amazon. Um, are going to have free shipping. Uh, typically, I think uh, Guitar Center Musicians Friend does that as well. I can't recall for sure. Some of the other ones like Zounds does. They probably do. I think they all do. I would imagine so anyway, because if one does it, they all have to do it. Although shipping times may be a little slow just because of the bulk orders. But really, if you don't have to go out, uh, don't go out. You know, there's no reason to fight the traffic, to stand in line in the cold, to potentially get injured because that's how stupid this whole thing gets. Um, you know, if you're if you're kicking someone in the head for a, a $20 off of a TV, there's there's something much bigger going on in your life. And I, I really I think the reason that I feel so strongly about this, just aside from the general stupidity of it, is that. Uh, when I was fairly young, I remember uh, my dad was working at Kmart and I remember there was an employee family night where you were allowed to invite X amount of people from your family to come in and shop for Christmas. The store was closed early and uh, so it was just us in the store and they were doing like really cool specials. My dad has a really good voice. So he uh, he was always announcing the blue light specials and things like that. And uh, I don't know what year it was. I'm sure if I did a little research, I could figure it out. But I know I was fairly young. And this was the year that the Cabbage Patch dolls came out. And it was a pretty big deal. And I think it was like one pallet or something that the store got in. And, uh, you know, everybody, of course, was was a lot of people were there just to get the dolls. But while you're there, you might as well do all the other shopping, too, and see what kind of deals you can get. And this was, I, I don't recall Black Friday even being a thing, although I'm sure it was, but not to the extent that it is today. At, at the very least, I'm sure it started on Friday and not midway through Thursday. Uh, but anyway, when when he announced that the Cabbage Patch dolls were going to be in whatever location and, oh my God, the the mad rush I saw. I saw people pushing people, uh, people getting knocked to the ground, punched in the face. I saw one person get kicked in the head and uh, all for a stupid fucking doll. It just, from that point on, I realized the ridiculousness of, of retail. And even though, of course, you know, I purchase things through retail. I mean, you know, you, you don't live in this world and not buy things through some sort of retail outlet, at least in most countries. Um, but to go through those means, and, and I mean, really, is it so important to, I think they had a hundred dolls on that, that pallet or whatever. And, you know, I, I don't know how many hundreds of people were in the store, but certainly not everybody's going to get one and to, and to just be like that. But here's the the real kicker when you put it into perspective is these are the family members of the people that work in the store. So I have to ask him if he remembers, but how do you how do you go into work the next day knowing that your cousin kicked your coworker's mother in the head over a doll? How do you how do you even come back from a night like that? I don't recall them doing it again. Now they may have, and I just may not have gone. Um, certainly, I, I think there would have been a little bit of hesitation with the uh, the physical dangers that uh, that ensued that night. But how do you how do you just go into work and look at your coworker and and know what your family members did to each other? And I can't even imagine. And if it were me, I probably wouldn't have done it again. Um, it's just it's just crazy. So 
be safe, be kind, be courteous to each other, treat each other well, and know that whatever electronic or deal that you're going to get, there's Cyber Monday, there's all kinds of holidays and other deals and all kinds of things that are going to be going on from now through Christmas. And then you've got the New Year's sales and then the after, you know, New Year's and everything else. So then there's the tax return sales. It never ends. So yes, there are some people that are going to get some absolutely incredible deals. Are you going to be one of them? What are the chances? Probably not worth the hospital bill or the lawsuit or whatever uh, you're going to have to pay out for injuring somebody to get your stupid TV. So uh, just be good, be careful, be considerate of others. Money comes and goes, but uh, somebody's eye only goes once. So anyway, back to Tommy. Oh, no, I, I did want to talk about uh, the reason I went into the Black Friday thing was because uh, I do know some amazing specials that are going to be coming out uh, uh, in the music industry. Uh, obviously, you know, places like Guitar Center and whatever are going to be having a lot of great deals. But uh, Best Service, my friend Wolfgang over at Best Service, I talked to him yesterday uh, in Germany. They're going to be doing some uh, amazing amazing Black Friday deals. You're not going to want to miss out on this. If you're a composer or sound designer, uh, check them out. You can go to bestservice.com. If I think in some, I think there's a best service DE if you're in it, it, it if you speak German, uh, I can't remember them all, but you can Google it. Best service is, is one word and you could do like best service. And if you don't find it, do best service space VST is a great place to find it. I'll have the link in the show notes as well. Uh, but sometimes when you're on your phone, the links aren't clickable. So uh, keep that in mind. But yeah, Best Service is going to be doing some absolutely amazing stuff. And I've got some other friends that I'm waiting to hear what their um, specials are going to be. But I'll be bringing those to you in the show opening and in the show notes as those details are revealed to me. I do have a lot of episodes that are going to be coming up between now and the end of the year. But uh, I'm going to be taking a uh, somewhat hiatus as I, as I'm working on a very special project that, uh, I will reveal, uh, if I can at, at some point, uh, but the show, uh, should be able to continue. I've got enough lined up, but I'll be doing, uh, some of the recordings way ahead of time. So they won't be going, uh, quite with the release dates, but they will be going, uh, on and you got to find out about the great things that, people are doing out in the world and uh, I'm still waiting to hear back from some, but I've got some great guests lined up through the rest of the year and then some lined up for next year as releases come out. So uh, the show continues. We're, we're uh, edging towards a hundred episodes. So that's pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. And uh, so uh, let's talk about Tommy though. Tommy is a fantastic guy. One of the coolest people I know, uh, generous, generous guy and uh, great musician, great uh, sound recordist, I think is is uh, what we decided the actual title of his job is. So when he's on a film, he's the guy out in the field that holds the boom mic, that has the sound pack strapped to his waist. He's got the headphones on and he's recording dialogue. He's recording uh, nature sounds. He's recording room tone. He's uh, the one that gets the angry looks while he needs a minute or two to get the room tone and everybody wants to move around and talk because they're anxious and have a lot to do. But for the film's continuity, you need to get room tone every single location you're at. So you need quiet to be able to do that. And so while everybody impatiently waits for Tommy to get his sound, uh, they uh, they will just have to wait for the betterment of the film. And if they don't want the film to be a better, why are they there? So we talk a lot about that. in, uh, And then we started talking about his new venture, which I'm really excited about. And we'll get to that when, uh, when I air part two in a couple of weeks. 
Uh, but for now, let's talk to Tommy Schaefer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring on my next guest. I know I say that every week, but it's because I always am. And uh, I've known Tommy for a number of years now. We met shooting an independent film in Arizona. We shot a couple of days at his house. He was gracious enough to give it up to the destruction of a film crew. And um, I'm sure he's still trying to clean up from that. But we became really good friends after that and have uh, spent many a late night chatting over uh you know, coffee on different uh, through over different states and having long philosophical conversations that could have saved the world if we had actually shared them with anyone. So without further ado, I will bring on my buddy, Tommy Schaefer. Tommy, how are you doing? Hello. I was trying to choke back laughter that entire introduction. <laughs> was it accurate? Uh, it was fabulous and accurate. Yes. Uh, Delightful. I, I as soon as you said still cleaning up after that production, I I pictured like, not even a handful, but maybe ten different things that as I walk, I could take you to the house and 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 give you the tour and say this is from this production and and oh those attacks in the molding, I still have not yet removed them because they're from another production that I had the pleasure of actually being a part of and wow. and, and yeah. So so you shot several times at your house. I have shot several films. But not I haven't, but there, right. there have been several films in in the old Casa of of Tomas. And uh, yeah, some of them I was in and others I did sound on. But the very first one where we met, um, that's a, a, a fun one because I was still working full time as a computer programmer um, way up in North Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And in the, was it seven days, eight days? It was a good bit of time that y'all shot there and you know i would get up in the morning navigate the maze of of production equipment and and (laughs) pieces of set that were actually in the house uh do my routine as as much as i could around that and then get in the car and go to work and trust that my house would still be there when the the film crew descended upon it and shot all day while i was at work that was that was the most fun part I would stay there all day and I'm, uh, you know, I would go run errands, but I would, I was there for a good chunk of the day and all day long. I'm like, how is Tommy okay with this entire group of people? He doesn't really know, except for a couple of them taking over his entire property, like has access to everything. And, and you're just like gone for the whole day. <laughs> it was, it was, re- that's really trusting. Well, it is, um, as most of these things are, it's a little bit of trust and a lot of foolishness. I think. Uh, I think. I think the, the production was clever, like a fox, or crazy like the fox. What is the what is the phrase? But this was. I haven't. I hadn't uh, joined the film industry yet. I, I I hadn't realized that that was going to be the phase of my life yet. So I knew. I'm going to say it. Nothing about what it's like to be on set. What 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 happened to homes that were given to a production company. So I really. I just was was blind to any of the possibilities, and sadly learned the hard way that the, uh, the, things get broken, things get misplaced, things like I had a family heirloom, a silver vase that my mom would give me. This was not on the Nephila the shoot, shoot that you were on, but it was another short film. Yeah, soon after um, a beautiful vase that I cherished because my mom passed away in 2000, and uh, you know I have a few things that, that I kept of hers. 
and, and things that are special that she had given me and had my name on it. And the, it was a student crew, and they were setting up in the backyard something. Uh, but, but no one told them that uh, the, the belongings of the owner are not yours to, to, to use for the production at will. Anyway, someone found this vase and thought it would be delightful in the production, but they didn't like its silver color and decided it needed to be painted <gasps> matte brown. What? And they covered the whole thing in not latex paint, mind you, that could easily be scraped off with a with a uh, tongue depressor or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was enamel oil-based paint oh that God. was on a silver, like one of those little deals that you put a, a wine bottle in to, to chill it. You know, it was, I never used it, but I... Like a decanter? Yeah, no, uh, it was a... Like a bucket, like an ice bucket, but oh. smaller than an ice bucket, and it would just hold a bottle of wine and a little bit of, like you know, like the towel. Or, right. Or, yeah. Uh, oh man. So here, here's what gets me. I mean, if they brought a vase or they brought a prop and said, "Hey, you know, we don't like this. We need to paint it. That's fine." But to just take some object that isn't yours and not clear it with anyone and just start manipulating it, I mean, how wrong is yeah. that? That's so real. Oh, it was it was so sad, so sad, and, uh, and that's so that's when I learned you have to be like I thought I was being overbearing or rude by watching things, but no, 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 you gotta be watch every little step, especially at a student production and you know a professional deal where they actually pay for the location and and they have contracts and stuff like that. It would have been a whole lot different, but yeah, this was you know. It, the hard learning that we all do during our, our early days in the student film world. And you can say, well, it's a student film, but the fact is like, this isn't a five-year-old child. This is somebody who's at least bordering on being an adult. Uh, thank you very much. That's very true. Like, yeah. 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 You only get so much mileage out of, but it's a student film. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, on top of that, I'll tell you something even more fun. Uh, yeah. This podcast is going to turn into griping and, and lonely, right? And I should probably, you're going to, here, here's what you're going to hear from me for the, the next hour. Like, ah, don't, don't, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to put that part in, right? <laughs> Just on the things I saw today alone when I went outside, I could do a whole podcast on, on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but, but no, it is true. You have to be really careful. So I think the new rule should be uh, only one person is allowed in the house at a time as long as you chaperone them. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I, I will say, though, you weren't you weren't there for this. But one of the most interesting things that I experienced while I was on set is I was I was just about to leave uh, to go pick up some supplies on the last day. And our actress had to do a birthing scene. And because they were they were getting ready to shoot, I couldn't leave because then there's noise and that gets on the tape and it can screw up a take. So uh, so I had to stand outside the, the front door of the house and wait. And I heard her give birth like seven times, intense screaming. And I mean, you could just feel her hands clutching something like someone's neck. And uh, it was just such an intense thing. But she did it over and over and over every time like it was the first time. And I really, in that moment, being trapped there, I thought, I really, I'm glad I was because I really learned about people that are just willing to go for it and give their all every single take. That is a wonderful realization. And and you know what, you're you're you were trapped on the other side of the door, so it's 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 that uh, 
phenomenon of that your hearing being heightened. It's a, the only sense that you had to go by, right? Because you're not watching the scene and you and you couldn't see what was happening. So all you hear, all you you your your energy is focused on just listening to that, and and it's already a loud and intense. So yeah, that had to be a fascinating experience for you to stand on the porch <laughs> and yeah. enjoy. It wow. was intense. I mean, it was so intense that after we were finished with the shoot, I went out and got a vasectomy. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, is that true? No, no, <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> no, I didn't have the money, but it was, um, it was, but, but I really, I, and I love the house. It's a really cool little house and the backyard's uh, really big. We had the whole craft services set up back there. We had the wardrobe in the, in the little garage room that you've got. I mean, it was just such a great place because you kind of have your own workshop um, that doubled as the makeup room. And uh, yeah, it was a great place to shoot. And, uh, and, but the best part of it for me, cause the movie never came out as so many independent films don't actually ever even get finished, which I have a whole nother beef with, but um, the movie never got finished and never got released, but I met a lot of great people. I worked with some cool people and I got to meet you and there were definitely some amazing highlights, but, uh, but it is frustrating. How many, how many films have you worked on that, that never uh, came out or even got finished? Wow. I wish I had done my homework to, to, to actually answer that question with, with actual numbers, but uh, having experienced it myself, I can give you rough numbers. And they are they're astronomical. That I probably worked on goodness. Like if you include features and easily in the th- in the range of two fifty three hundred, and uh, I might if you can go to anyone listening right now can go to my IMDb page and see twelve to fifteen right. <laughs> you know, that are actually listed. You know, right? And, and okay, I think I, I believe this week, that's probably twenty to thirty, but. Yeah, I mean, we're talking orders of magnitude less, you know. So, so say three hundred altogether, thirty have have seen the light of day. Yeah, and that uh, it's it's frustrating because there's a, a a giant mentality, at least in, in the Arizona community, in some sections of the community. I'm not gonna you can't speak generally, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's a mentality of quantity over quality in, in a lot of people's minds. That uh, that's just just bad practice in any industry. <laughs> well, sure. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, you, you go and say, yeah, I've worked on 300 films and somebody goes and pull up, pulls up your IDB, IMDB and says, yeah, you've done like 10% of what you just promised me. Now I don't trust you because you're lying. Right. Right. And then you have now, how do you like, what here, look at my resume. Well, that's the thing that you sat at your computer and, and typed out how, you know, that's true. So yeah, that's a, you're right. As a practitioner, that's a frustrating thing because we put, 12 hour, 15 hour day, mm-hmm. uh, days in on these productions and for them not to see the light of day is, uh, yeah, you're learning and you're growing and the craft is developing, especially in for the students. But, uh, it, it, after a while, that's an old song to continue to listen to <laughs> because, uh, because right. you want to be able, you need something transferable to that next because you're always you're always in a job interview in in this freelance world, right? You're always mm-hmm. proving to the next person why you're the person to hire. And uh, yeah, if the films aren't coming out, and it's, it's real hard to to uh, sell yourself. It is, and I think really the whole project is the interview because you you know you you get the job, but while you're on the job, you're constantly being evaluated. In post production, your work is going to be evaluated. 
Um, I don't think that the interview ever really ends. Oh, I never thought of it that way, but you're spot on. Yeah, every day you're 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 only as good as your last take, almost, especially as a, as a location engineer, as a location mm-hmm. recorder. Let's talk about what you do. So you're you're a sound location. Now you say engineer, but is it recordist? Is that the right word? Ah, that's yeah. There's you could go to many forums out there on the internet and find vast arrays of discussion on the topic. But yes, uh, recordist, the location recording or location mixer. But well, actually, that's also the misnomer because we we often go by. Sound mixer, you know, right. production sound mixer is, is the most common term. But honestly, you're a production set it and forget it each take engineer. You know, <laughs> right. you know in the one man show band that I am with the, you know, with, with the EG bag and the mixer on your person and then that same person holding a boom in the scene, monitoring the lavaliers on the talent. When your take is up, you're very, it's very unlikely that you're mixing real time. You know, you're yeah. you're you're setting you're setting for those highs and 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 going in for the kill on each take, and then begging for a retake if if there was one. Well, sure, but that's I think that's why I've always hated the term sound mixer because when I think mixing, I think sitting behind the desk and you know playing with levels and 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 you know really getting a good blend of things. But really, what you have to do is you have to make sure that the sound is recordable that it's clear and everybody's mic is hot and then they're just going to do the scene and you capture it. You're really more of a capturing engineer than a mixer. Absolutely. Yep. That's So your, your location recordist is, is the proper term. I'm, we, we'll, we'll put it in the liner if, if there is a more proper term. I'm sure I'm always learning, of course. Right. Uh, but yeah, you're... You're far from mixing. Now, when I'm on post-production projects, that's, and, and as you know, in your world, you, you do a lot of it. Now, that's the, that's the, the mixing that we know and love. And, and Yes. Or know and loathe, depending on the day or the tape. <laughs> yes. Know and love, spelled L-O-H-H-E. <laughs> well, and, and now for those of you who are trying to picture what I'm talking about or what we're talking about, because you're here too with me, Tommy, by the way, um, is uh, if, you've, if you've seen a film set or, or like if you've watched uh, some of the last, the last season of The Office where you saw the guy with the boom, uh, the boom arm and then the big uh, mic with the fuzzy thing on the end of it, that's what Tommy does. He goes and records the sound on the set of a film. Um, and, and there are a lot of challenges to that. I mean, if you're in an indoor environment and your characters are fairly close together and you're just booming the conversation, you're pretty much just standing there waiting for it to be done. But what happens when they move around? I'm asking That's you, not Tommy. a rhetorical question, is it? <laughs> That's not a rhetorical question. No. I, was, I got into, I'm listening to this awesome podcast mode and I realized <laughs> just at that moment. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's not going to work if we continue to do that right no it's, it's going to be a very short show i think right right you're going to miss the whole show oh yeah that's a great you make a great point and oh man uh like i mean you got to move with the actors and it depends if you're doing if you know i've done reality shows where we've got wire uh wireless radio mics on every person so you're getting you're, you get a little leeway in in that dual mic, you don't have to get it on every single person when the action takes place, especially in a, uh, 
in a reality type situation where we don't have a rehearsal, we don't have a script where we get to read and, and, and I get to preemptively know who's going to be speaking next. Even when I do know that, I, it, it's really a challenge to, to remember because you don't get to just watch the scene and follow the logic of the conversation and doing a million things in my head, listening for interference, listening for, you know, background noises, uh, making sure that the levels are right, watching the levels, blah, blah, all this stuff. So, so the words that are coming out of the actor's mouth are, it, it does not, it doesn't get processed by my brain like a normal conversation would. So I, I, it's hard to follow the flow. So you don't know who's going to be it's because it's just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, You're listening to the signal and not the, what the signal is actually saying. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's levels and signal rather than the content of those actual words, which is a fascinating thing that I only learned over time. And sometimes, well, just like it just happened in, in this, oh, it depends on where this edit lands in your podcast, but where I caught myself listening to your words and enjoying what you were saying, but not realizing it was a question directed to me that I should answer. <laughs> and there I was being a sound mixer right in a very, like, how meta was that? That just happened. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm leaving that in. Um, okay, good. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Well, now I, you have to because we addressed it. Well, that's, yeah. See, now you've locked me in a box. Um, but I've I've boomed on two films, and one was uh, like five weeks of shooting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and that film never came out. And then I had one that I did that uh, was just a, a one night and a couple of pickups the next night shoot because uh, it was just a short film, and that also never came out. But when I was working on that short. Um, I was, it was a, an emotional, a very emotional film that a friend of mine wrote. And um, the scene was a very long scene and they weren't moving around much. So I pretty much just stood there while they were doing the scene and I didn't need to really do anything because there was uh, no variations. But I was getting so caught up in the emotion of the scene because it's very upsetting and I was like, you know, trying not to tear up. And I was like trying not to look at them and start hearing humming in my head and just trying to block everything out because I was like, just, just finish. Cause I really don't want to hold this mic anymore. <laughs> I, but I'm glad that you can dis disconnect from that because that really would have helped me that night. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, full disclosure, I'm not, and I don't, I would be a miserable human if I could perfect that. So I'm glad I'm not good at, or not a perfect, uh, perfect at doing that because, because yeah, on the other coin, and you get me thinking here, like, uh, next to the makeup department, I think sound engineers develop the closest relationships, the fastest with actors in a, in a, in a short film or even a feature, especially a feature. Um, and I say that because number one, we're in intimate set moments where we're, we're technically setting up setting the person up technically with the microphone equipment, especially if we're, we're doing concealed labs and, and, and the like. So you're working with the costume and, and you're undoing things that they just spent 20 minutes putting on just so you can hide the wire. And maybe we're running a, a thin wire through their hair. And, and all the while, there's conversation and, you know, you have to be cordial. And, and, and I, I always make really great friends right away in those moments because because I think it's important to to help that that actor be comfortable. So there's that. But on top of that, you are 
listening to this person every time they speak intently. Uh, whereas other folks on set, especially folks who, whose job is in the beginning of the scene, so you say the grip and lighting team, um, you know, their job is to come in, set it all up. And, but when we're shooting, they're out at the truck getting set up for the next or, or getting gear ready for the next setup. And, and those folks don't get to, to watch the scene as much. You know, the director, the cinematographer and sound team, um, are like, yeah, we're listening to these people every single take. So just like if you watch, uh, if you watch a, a play a number of times, you start to think that you know those people more than you actually do. So, so after a take, you're, you're probably more friendly with them because you feel like you've been having this conversation, but they've only been talking at you. They haven't been talking with you. So, <laughs> so it, tends to, it, it has a propensity to be awkward because, with, you know, in the early stages, a person might be less warmed up to you than you are to them. You know, I hope this is a delightful journey in my babbling for your use. <laughs> I'm sorry, were you talking you know to me? me? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, but you do bring up a, a great point. And, and this is what I, I knew was going to happen when I talked to you is now there's like two threads of this that I want to follow. Uh, the first one is that you said, um, you know, like you feel like you know the people when you've watched the play a few times. And I really think that that's why celebrities are are so um, misunderstood because people think that because they know a character or something that they've played, they know who that person is. And don't right. separate necessarily the person from a character that they played, especially if it's on like a, a television series or a series of movies where they have a lot of, of uh, visual of that person being that character. And then the other thing that you said was uh, how close you get to these people. And what's interesting is you do the onset sound, but you also are a composer. So and some of the projects that you work on, you will go off uh, on your own and compose the music where are you are now... Th- instead of being close to these people, now you're as distant as you could be from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel that that, does it get lonely sometimes because you don't have that, uh, the, the interaction with the people uh, because you're so used to doing the onset sound is the composing part hard. It absolutely is. And you bring up a, a fantastic point. And you know, the, if we can segment the world into two categories, one of those, favorite categories of uh, segmentation is the introvert versus extrovert. And I do, what's the word, identify with uh, extroversion more than introversion. But as I've grown older, I'm absolutely falling more in love with my introverted side, um, which does lend itself to, to go off, shutting the door, shutting the blinds, putting on a pot of coffee and or tea at some time of day. And and uh, like saying goodbye to the world for a while and and and, and closing off, uh, but but there once I emerge from a post production project and just go grocery shopping and have that <laughs> conversation with the cashier for like minutes and and realize that she is done with this this she was done with this ten minutes ago but this is the first person I've talked to in a day or two right. and I realize that it's very important thing to keep that balance yeah. <laughs> and not wait, wait until later. <laughs> well, see, and that's why I don't talk to myself at home when, you know, when I'm on a project and I'm not going to leave the house for a few days. And uh, I, I really try not to talk to myself because I'm afraid that when I go outside, I won't shut that off and I'll just be walking down the street or in the grocery <laughs> store, just muttering to myself. 
it is interesting because there is some level of human connection that we need, but also it's kind of easy to just become that, that hermit that hides behind the curtain and just kind of peeks out and somebody walks by and they just see one eyeball looking out of the curtain and they're like, what's with that guy? And, you know, because you get to the point where you don't want to, to re-enter the world. Right. Right. Because in, in your studio, the, the, the social stakes are lower, right? There's no, like, I don't have to, I don't have to censor myself. I don't have to watch what I say. I don't have to be affected by what someone else says. I don't, you know, it's, it's real safe and real easy, yeah. but it's also lonely as, as bleak. You know? <laughs> so, you know, so, but man, I do love getting lost. And I, in full disclosure, I haven't done, and, and, this is going to go on a third thread probably, but part of this, uh, this trip that I'm on right now, sort of my, my major goal was to, to dive deep into, into some music production, but due to a technical problem that maybe we can solve during the discussion ah. <laughs> together. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't start on it at all, but that, all that aside, um, I, I, I really miss the days where I would just get lost and, and you, you find that sample, you find that, that timber, timber tote that in your closet full of, of patches that you just love and it's perfect for the thing. And you just go and, and, and hit record and perform like no one's watching. You know, you, you, you just keep, uh, anyway, now I'm going to get off an organic emotional <laughs> rant. <laughs> but I love getting lost in that. Let's put a period on that. I love getting lost in those moments and just like when you, once you emerge from 20 minutes of doing that and the fog lets you go, is the tea burning? Did I leave a kettle on? What's burning? You know, <laughs> so many things get ignored when you're going on that path. So, no, I miss that. Oh, I yeah. I to get back to that. Oh, for sure. And and it's, you know, that's one of the best parts about uh, doing the music for really anything. I mean, even if you're just writing your own project or what, um, is just th- that you're searching for something, you're searching for something, and then the magic just happens. You just find that right blend, or it could be, even be something as simple as you pan something differently, and it brings out another instrument that you could figure out how to cut through in the mix. And uh, it, yes. it's, those moments are, it's kind of like waking up from a dream that you were really happy to have and you wake up and you're like, I just want to fall back asleep into that dream. And yeah, you that's can't. brilliant. And hopefully you were recording when it happens and then just, uh, go back and fine tune this. I love that you say that though. Cause yeah, you, 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 you just turn a knob, you pan a certain way or you get, re- so that drops out some, some bunch of frequencies and in some instrument or voice that was covering up something else, but the, the absence of that now lets the other one shine through. And there it is. It's it, cool. Uh, turn it down. We're shut down for the day. We did it. That's, that's a wrap. You know, you, you right. feel real good about that. And uh, I love that. And then there's the bad days. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean the ones where you have to go outside? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's true though, but you know, I've I've gotten to the point now because I'm so used to um, when I'm doing the the you know the recording and the basic mix. Of course, the final mix you have to do to, to studio monitors. But when I'm doing my basic mix, um, I I listen to everything under headphones, and I've gotten now to the point where I prefer to watch everything with headphones, like movies, television shows, whatever it is, because there's so many subtle things 
that if your speakers aren't loud enough or if you're not close enough to them that you miss. And now that I'm listening to everything with headphones, even movies I'm really familiar with, I'm hearing little nuances that they put in that I never even knew were there. Because they, I mean, depending on your speakers and the setup of your room and the treatment of your room, that can get lost. That could get either lost in the room or accentuated by the room yeah. incorrectly in a way that the, the original design of sound designer didn't, did not intend. But yeah, so yeah, the headphones bring it all in. Right, right. Because I mean, at least movie, movie-wise, everything is pretty much designed for what your theater experience is going to be, not what your at-home watching experience is going to be. Although I know they do oh, remix right. some things for the home audience, um, because if they're if they're mixing to surround sound and they know most people don't have surround at home, or at least not a high-quality surround, um, they know that they'll lose a lot of the depth of the audio. So I know that they've done some remixes, but uh, but I, I kind of wish that they would just level out the volumes a little bit because it seems like it's really quiet and then it's just loud. And I find that I'm riding my volume like I would as an engineer when I'm just trying to watch something. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, in the in when you're watching a TV show and and listen and watching TV and commercials, or are you saying in a, a particular movie you're actually riding it? Yeah, like even within a movie, like let's say that it's a space movie and they're having a conversation and then they switch to like out, an outside shot and you hear this ship goes zooming by, but it's like way louder than the dialogue was, unnecessarily louder. And and I feel like on a lot of things, and it's probably because I'm an over picky audio engineer, but I feel like a lot yeah, of times yeah, I'm yeah. just riding the fader just to try and find a balance within the show so that I'm not, my ears aren't blown away when the ship goes by and I can still enjoy the dialogue of the next conversation. I love it. So you're you are actually remixing the mix as you as you <laughs> yeah. enjoy it in your home. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Now, if, if like somebody like waves or something would just make like a, a a live theater plug-in or something where you could just you know have it automatically uh, buffer the volume for you while you were just watching a movie, that'd be awesome. I would I would pay a lot of money for that. I love that. You're the your 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 story and and uh, potential app. Or, or or product is very complicated. Oh, I would just be happy if we could get a simple gate or or something that we could jam onto the output of our TV and or uh, sound systems and uh, make commercials that are cranked all the way up to zero dB FS. Make them at least the same as the movie, or bring the movie up to to zero so that when or TV, so that. Uh, those commercials don't blast you out of your chair after you just seen the most intimate whispery love scene or something like that. Oh my <laughs> God. I know that's drives so me nuts. And, uh, and maybe one for YouTube as well. Oh, for sure. And Pandora while we're at it, let's there just you go. go across the board. <laughs> right. Just, just one. For Cause life. I love listening to like it's real chill ambient uh, music while I'm falling asleep. With and I don't want to spend the money on, on the subscription. And then this commercial, after a nice 45-minute lull, I'm falling in this car commercial cuts through the mix. It's just, just not pleasant. Well, you know <laughs> what's zero. Funny is there's so many people that put uh, videos out on YouTube that are like eight hours of relaxation music and or eight hours of waterfall and stuff like that. And like, yeah, that would be awesome if it wasn't for the commercials cutting in every three and a half minutes or, or whatever the time is. Like, <laughs> just takes you right out of it. Yes. Oh man, you just you just opened up thread number four. <laughs> the last yeah. cool slow TV YouTube video that I just watched is uh, one of my favorite uh, sailing channels. Mm-hmm. They there's a ton of sailing channels out there with people who are doing the liveaboard and cruising around the world. 
And it's a lot of really fun adventures and about their trip. And here we are at this restaurant and here we are fixing the water maker. And here we are, lots of neat adventures. But one of my more favorite channels um, is, is, is bringing the call of some other, not industries, but markets, whatever the word is, that does slow TV and, and just puts a waterfall, like you said, put the waterfall for an hour. Anyway, they have a bunch of GoPro set up and, some I don't know what they use for audio, but we could certainly fix it because that's where my story is leading. But they did 40 minutes of of just sailing on one of their passages. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, for you and I, uh, they the the video is a, a straight zero to 40 minute mark video, so it's all real and and uncut. But the audio track they chose to use loops and recycles at about 45 seconds. What? And it's miserable. I mean, it's just slow rolling waves that I don't know that passerby might not notice, but with you know iterations of that, and I'm like, wait up, is that is that just a loop? That's oh my! And I had to turn it off. I couldn't watch it. <laughs> the most important part was loops, and, and so anyway, I want to reach out to them and uh, and say uh, there's a better way. <laughs> Yeah. It seems like it would be far more work to create that than it would be to just use the camera audio. Yeah, well, my guess is there's a lot of uh, things banging around and, and hitting and, and yeah. a lot of unpleasant. I mean, it's pleasant for the sailor, but unpleasant for the, I just want to hear waves crash the person, whoever that is. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. imagine they, they just decided to find a section. I'm sure it's longer than 45 seconds, but to me, it felt like. 45 lousy seconds. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting, and I haven't gone back and actually examined this yet, and I and I really would like to, so I don't know how much stock I can put in this, but you know those uh, those videos on YouTube where they're showing the uh, the booms that go off in the sky that nobody knows what they are? I don't you know this. Oh, they're fascinating. Yeah, you can look up like a giant boom or booms in the sky or apocalypse because everybody thinks it's, you know, the the apocalypse is coming and whatever. And there's there's all kinds of things. There's like these really weird brassy scraping sounds and no one can tell where they're coming from. But anyway, I I watched somebody try to debunk these videos and I don't really know anything about them or about the history. But one thing that they said that captured my attention, and this is what I think you'll find interesting, is that most of those videos actually use the same recycled audio and they just talk like the individual will talk over the audio but the original audio of the booms is just like repeated in a majority of those videos and uh, really some of them up and i'm like wow that's if you're if you're not faking it for your for your own purposes that's pretty sad that's that's hilarious that makes me think of like like Oh, what was that screaming? And and some somebody using the Wilhelm scream over and over again, and all these different. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I don't know why we're still using the Wilhelm scream. It seems like you know that's so overplayed. Whenever I hear it now, I just kind of roll my eyes. Right. I think it's for humor alone now. Right. It's. I mean, it's so. Yeah. So. So many other options. Well, I think <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, every single Star Wars film has used a Wilhelm scream. I, that sounds very familiar. That's a very familiar sounding trivia bit right there that I believe I... I would have to know if the last couple, because I really didn't... I, I couldn't get into them, so I don't know them as well as I know like the first six that came out. But uh, but I'm pretty sure every one of them has had a Wilhelm scream. Um, but but I want to ask you a little bit more about the, the live sound or the, the sound mixing before we move forward. 
because when I did it on the feature film, um, I didn't know, like I, I'm a studio guy, so I'm a controlled environment type audio engineer and, and, a, and a recording engineer. But for you, you're outside, you're dealing with wind elements, you're dealing with rain, you're dealing with people moving around. Are there some pretty solid strategies for dealing with weather when you're shooting outside? There are. And a lot of it, oh, this is so fun. We're going to have three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are, and some things, uh, a lot of things it, I learned along the way. I, I don't know at what point you want to throw this in there, but I'm not a trained engineer as in I went to film school to learn audio engineering mm-hmm. through a, a personal evolution and ended up landing in and, and choosing to go after uh, freelance audio uh, recording career uh, because a lot of things lined up and, and it, it worked out, but I didn't go and, and learn it. So a lot of the the real cool things, and even even we were just talking about mixing with headphones, and I know I read a lot and, and heard and, and seen on a lot of forums that people just say, don't mix with headphones. and I, So I just didn't, and I never did. And to hear that you do mix with headphones, it makes me rethink listening to things without doing the research or just mixing with headphones myself and, and deciding if that's what I want to do. It, you know, so I thought, of, I thought of that while you're. But that's why you came on the podcast because you want to make this show rethink your entire life. Yeah, <laughs> you just got yourself a new tagline for the podcast. <laughs> right. uh, but, but no, I, what I do is I do the preliminary mixes through my headphones and I know my headphones well enough to know sort of what, what the uh, differences are between them and the speakers. Not, not a lot of the exact finite stuff. I still do my final mixes and my mastering with uh, actual speakers, but I can get my mix really close using headphones. And then I really just need the speakers to fine tune. That's, and that's exactly the, the counter point that I heard and read everyone say, anyone who says, you know, shut up, you guys, about not mixing with headphones. Use the headphones and know your headphones, know it inside and out, and then, yes, get that mix close, and then take the headphones off and do the best with the... Because, honestly, you can have just as much of margin of error in a room that's not treated properly with speakers that are not placed well enough in the room that that it's better to mix with the headphones. Get that sound just in your ear earballs or eyeballs right. <laughs> yeah. for your ear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I love that. It's a lot easier for me because I'm in a smaller room. So I find it's easier for me to set all my panning where I want the sounds to be and really be able to hear it in the headphones so that when I turn the speakers on, everything is where it should be in the sound field. Um, I just feel like I have a better uh, perception of it that way. And then uh, I can just fine tune, you know, move a little bit over here, a little bit over there, or, or whatever with the speakers and everybody works their own way for, for guys that are in like a, a big treated studio room. It's probably easier for them to mix to the speakers because they're, they're already, their whole room is designed for it. Whereas, you know, for me, it's the, the master bedroom is my studio and uh, you know, it's not always the most optimal conditions to mix. So uh, to, to do the majority of it in the headphones, I find it's more accurate for me than it is to do it on speakers. I love that. And guess what? You're ahead of your time because look at how, uh, look at how, uh, what's the word, how this content is consumed nowadays. It's on the phone. And, right. and if it's not, if it's not through that 
teeny little tiny dime sized speaker that has zero low end, barely any mid size and all highs, it's through the headphones. So if you're mixing in that environment, yeah, it has got to be good. And maybe I've misstated a lot of purest things, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, why not mix in the, in the environment that, that 90% of your content consumption is going to occur. Right. And it's, it's really weird to think of how much money I've spent on headphones over the years to, you know, to work on really quality mixes and, and deliver the best that I can deliver uh, at, at my level as an engineer. And then think about the fact that people are probably going to stream what I wrote over Spotify listening to through earbuds. And sometimes those earbuds aren't even wired anymore. So now you've got a potential little bit of loss of quality as it transmits the signal to the, uh, the unattached earbuds. And, and I think, you know, it, do I really need to work as hard as I do? I, I still right. think I do because there are people that are going to listen to it on quality stuff. But if 90% of your listeners are listening on earbuds, it almost makes me feel sometimes like, why am I working so hard? I think I do it for me. I think it's just because it's who I am. Yeah, you got to do it for you and, and know that what you've produced is that higher quality and, and then let the user degrade it. Because my goodness, an earbud is, is, a, is good compared to what most will do. And they're just, I can't tell you how many times someone was listening to music on their phone and just chilling out in a room. I was like, could you please get that on a subwoofer or something to fill in the gaps? I can't, yeah. I can't listen to, I can't listen to music playing on a cell phone. It drives me nuts because, because I know there's so much data that we're not getting. And you know, we're just interesting, different breed of people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But if you're if you're actually listening through the phone speaker, you're really not getting the stereo effect. Oh right. You're losing the stereo, you're losing all the bottom end and oh just miserable. Yeah. And people do it all the time. <laughs> well they're not allowed to anymore. So <laughs> that's, Right. That's Stop this madness, you crazy human. Exactly. You, now you were asking me something about location sound and Yeah, uh, so how do you like let's say let's say something like wind. So you're outside, you're shooting a restaurant scene that's on the patio of a restaurant, but it's a little bit windy. Um, obviously you're going to see the, the fact that it's windy as the viewer, because you're going to see people's hair moving. You're going to see maybe light strings, uh, bouncing back and forth. So you understand that it's windy, but the audio can't have wind in the foreground. So how do you like, what's this, what's a good strategy for making sure that you're capturing good sound while not getting so much of that wind? I love that question for so many reasons. Uh, this is I love talking to you, Scott. I've seen this is great. <laughs> Back at you, man. That's that's why I've been trying to like, find a time to get you on the show for like what a year. So I so uh, sadly, admittedly, it is probably more than a year. But but hey, the the suspense is built greatly, and and it is worth every iota there of you time go. waiting. <laughs> But yeah, so on that, I love that for several reasons. The beauty, the, the fascinating thing about wind is that wind itself makes no sound, right? It's the pressure difference, and the only sound you hear is its effects on the stuff around you. So with that being said, what we want to hear on screen, can hear or get away with hearing on screen, are its effects on the stuff that we see on the screen. So... So hair, hair blowing, for instance, makes a sound. It's very subtle. You probably wouldn't even hear it over a conversation. But uh, a leaf blowing by makes a sound. The napkin flapping on the de- on the table makes a sound. All those things we want to uh, accept and embrace and enjoy 
if you have a director that's trying to get you to stop that sound, then then get off that set. They're 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 missing the they're missing the beautiful things that build sound in the scene. Now, if it's overpowering and it's killing your dialogue and it's going to make your edit miserable, obviously this is why we record things in controlled environments. So so there's that. The, I, I believe that diegetic sound that uh, you have to go back to the film terms. The sound you see on screen is called a, is a diegetic sound. Uh, update in the liner notes if that's wrong. <laughs> but, but, the, but the sound we don't want and is the hardest or, or the most prevalent, and that's the wind on the capsule of the microphone. And that's that rumble that you hear. That's the the real low end booming bass that you'll hear on a not, on a on a microphone that's not treated. And honestly. As much as we hear that miserable sound in amateur video all over YouTube and all even in indie short films and whatnot, um, it's very easy to avoid and it just costs money. So, you know, you have to have the proper wind put around the microphones to, to break up that wind. Uh, and, and I visualize this for the listeners. You ever, are you ever driving down the highway? In a, in rain, and you see the big rigs, the big tractor trailers with like a, it looks like a hula skirt, a grass skirt on the back mm-hmm. of the trailer. Sure. Have you seen that? Well, look, the fuzzies and the the blimps that go around microphones are, exa- are are doing the exact same thing to the air that those hula skirts are doing to the spray of water. Basically, the the, the large spray coming off of those tires hits those little fronds of the grass skirt and it has to fight to get through each of those strands and very few droplets of that water get get through without getting broken up time it impacts one of those little threads same for the the fuzzy on on your on your microphone the wind is still getting to the capsule of the microphone it's just getting there in tinier uh puffs of pressure that are measured by the capsule Wow, that's a great description. Uh, I, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. It could very well not be what's happening at all, but that's how I think of it. <laughs> but either way, you've learned something that is either accurate or completely misleading. <laughs> so, so everything is still on the table. But no, that is that <laughs> is right. uh, yeah. Well, and and I, you know, I I noticed a big because I, you know, I've done a lot of live sound for concerts and plays and things like that, but uh, not a lot of uh, recording like for film, which which has a lot less leeway. There's a lot less you can get away with when you're recording for media, but the the windscreens for uh, like a shotgun mic are so different. They really look more like something that you could uh, use as like a Swiffer and get all the dust out of a corner with than they do something for a microphone. Yes. And those are, that's what I call the, uh, what are we, what I need a good word for it, but that's, that's not second string, but the opposite of like when you bring in the more, the stronger forces, when you see a fuzzy on there, there's a, there's another layer beneath that. There's possibly two layers beneath that. Um, but in the kit that I have, particularly from, from my, uh, exterior shotgun mic, there's a. It looks like a pill. It looks like a capsule mm-hmm. of sorts, and it's a it's a plastic mesh with large holes. And I'm making holes signs with my hands that you can't oh. see in the podcast. But so imagine <laughs> the, like a quarter inch square uh, or smaller, maybe eighth inch square plastic mesh, and then inside that wrapped and and set inside that plastic mesh is another finer screen, like a screen that you would have on your window. 
with like really teeny holes that only a pencil point would fit through. Um, then that cap, that limp goes over the mic and you could shoot and record sound with just that. If the wind is, I'm going to say between, you know, five knots and 15 knots of wind, maybe 20. Uh, but once you get over about 20, then you put that fuzzy on top and then that, that breaks up the wind in a macroscopic way. And then those little, little puffs still have to get broken up by the stream. And then you might even have a foam case uh, around the mic at, at the at the most innermost layer of the mic. And then even on top of that, there's a little tiny screen on the mic that does very little, if anything, <laughs> to to. But but yeah. So, whew, have we ever talked this much about wind protection? I don't know. I love that. <laughs> well, but it is it is a fascinating thing because that's you know from my experience, as little as it is that's really the biggest challenge for a sound recordist is just combating wind. Mm. You know, maybe if yeah. you were an underwater recordist, which we'll get to, uh, cause I'm still hoping for that, but, uh, that I would imagine <laughs> would have its own set of challenges because every underwater recording that I've ever heard done, uh, sounds a little bit flangy and it just sounds yeah, like absolutely yeah. bubbles are, are just like scraping across the side of the mic here and there. It, it's a really bizarre sound. What I've, what I've heard captured under sea. Yeah. I like that you bring that up because, uh, because yeah, it causes you to think, step back and, and remember that the sound we hear is simply variations in pressure that are hitting our, our eardrums, you know? So the same is happening on the water. It's just, it's being carried in the complete medium and throughout that, uh, through the conduction of those, those pressure pulses on the way to your ear, uh, different things, you know, it's being absorbed by the water, or dissipated by the water, or, you know, whatever is happening under there, but it, it travels certainly differently. If we could talk, for instance, if we could press our lips into an I-beam, a steel I-beam, you would find that it has a completely different sound on top of all those things. Oh, Fantastic yeah. If we could capture that. Well, I mean, if you, like right now I'm speaking into the air, and there's a microphone that's going to absorb some of that. But underwater, it's just 100% resistance. So sound is not going to travel very far. I would imagine that most of what you're hearing is actually hitting the capsule that the microphone is in, the protective, you know, waterproof capsule, more so than what the mic is actually picking up. Oh, right, right. And that's, that's, you just described a GoPro perfectly because the sound of a GoPro is so horrible, but only because it has to be because the, the plastic case that surrounds the camera, you're right. All of that, all the, it's, it's the knocking of those is onto that plastic, that quarter inch thick plastic. And, and then that, it, the vibration of that plastic is what's, uh, exciting the mic diaphragm. And that's, and that's why it sounds miserable, but but unique and and completely identifiable from you know you could pick that out of a hundred miles away. You know, oh, that's the sound of a GoPro. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you know, it's going to be great though, because uh, I, I have to think that one day we'll be able to find a way to master underwater recordings, and uh, it, that would be great because I would love to hear some of those shark screams that we saw in Jaws: The Revenge when the shark was getting uh, zapped with electricity and was screaming on the, in the movie, uh, I want to hear what they scream like underwater. Right. I want to hear, I want to hear what, the, I want to talk to the dolphins. I want to hear the whales. And yeah, now you want, now there's a whole, there's, there's, I think that's thread number five. We've opened up. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you a story? Tell me about a story. The, 
get a sound, uh, a location sound challenge that I remember. Um, and, and this was only one that was, uh, identified and solved right on the spot. And that was, um, we were out in the woods. It was a, a military film where there were two snipers on a hill shooting down in a, a nuclear power, nuclear power plant, uh, taking out one of the operative labs. All of that is, is, Great backstory, but completely unnecessary. So the two guys are, are laying prone <laughs> behind the scopes, and it's raining. So the the shot is gorgeous, and it's just wet, and there's rain drops falling down their their, their faces, and it's it's real beautiful. But the 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 cinematographer was I think we're shooting on a red. Uh, they had a, a big umbrella over the camera, and and my gear was pretty well protected, and so I had my I had all my ring gear on the mic. And I was wearing enough gear to keep the, the mixer under control and relatively dry. Um, you know, sound devices, 788 is what I use. And that thing is a tank and it's been in underwater and still knock on wood here running great. Anyway, the challenge we had in the picture that, that I got to be a sound engineer and, 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 and raise my hand and, and tell them we're getting unusable audio right now. The the rain the rain sounded beautiful as it hit the leaves and the rocks and the guns and and the the helmets and the gear of the mess sounded beautiful. But the the part of the rain that didn't sound beautiful on the shot was the rain drops hitting the umbrella Ooh. covering going over the camera because of course we don't see the umbrella on screen right. and there's no way to hide that. Now it sounds beautiful. I love the sound of raindrops on canvas. It's what you fall asleep to camping and, and that's a beautiful sound. It has a time and place. This is not it. <laughs> well, yeah, because so, you're, you're wanting to capture in the audio what the people are going to see on screen and that, you know, a rain hitting an umbrella at any velocity is really thumpy and, and pitter patter. And uh, that's not at all what it looks like when you're just looking not, at rain hitting the ground. Right. And it's, exactly. It sounds completely different. It's like one time I heard Foley in the film. It was a, a student film that, and I couldn't watch any more of the film from that point forward. But guy walks up to a bar, orders a beer. They pop the top off of the beer. It sounded great. They set the bottle down and that bottle was 100% empty. And you know, and it was a real solid concrete oh, service. So the yeah. sound of a full bottle versus a, it's so different. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't watch the movie. I was completely taken out of the reality. So yeah. that same thing is happening there. Like you're, you're hearing, raindrops in canvas but there's no canvas in the shot and it just doesn't make sense so anyway uh we had a thought we couldn't get that shot unless we solved it so i took and and i don't want to play the hero here you know what i kind of was a hero in this one but i was wearing a <laughs> i was wearing a smog helmet well nobody tells the story where they come out like a dork you know <laughs> and sound engineers often come out as the well, I was, uh, I was, you know what a smog is? It's like a, a, a fancy name for a scarf, a large scarf that, that we, all the military guys were wearing and we were all in similar gear just because of the environment we're in. It was just handy to keep dust out off of our face, sun off of our neck. And what I learned to use it was I, I pulled the scarf off. It's about three feet by three feet, real thin, uh, material, but it was just enough material to drop over the, the umbrella and cover basically now expose a layer of cotton to the sky and not a layer of canvas to the sky. And the raindrop sound disappeared completely. And it was like just the day that I will never forget of, you know, being able to go off 
and and save the shot and 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 get what we needed. I, I it was a good that's day. That's awesome. So. But that's that's the real trick, right? Because when you're when you're on a location and there's so many people's time is being taken, uh, sometimes it's a lot of people's money is being used up. There's schedules that you may not be able to come back to a location again. You really have to improvise and you have to be creative on the fly to be able to solve issues. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges of filming really from any role. It really is. You're right. Any single role, those those little things are happening in every department, you know? So yeah, yeah, sure. We can, we can have the pomp and circumstance and, and, and celebrate that one because it, because I experienced it, but those things are happening. Make those things are definitely happening in the G and E department all the time. So yeah, that's, that's what, that's why we do this, right? That's why we love this job. Yeah. And you're like, and I just employed three guys to hold this cloth over my head. So you know, you can't, you can't do it yourself, but, but there is, tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't there another challenge with a, with an issue like that? Is it, if you were to try and record it, or let's say that you were still getting some noise from the, from the cotton, um, it's in the wrong place. So in the sound field, now you've got a very close up sound of rain hitting something from where the boom is, and that might not match up to your visual at all. Exactly. Yeah. And in this particular case, we're lucky because, I mean, it was a, it was a long lens there. You were really close on those sniper guys. So I mean, the camera, the picture like an 85 millimeter, the camera's about eight feet away. Uh, and then and the umbrella of the camera there. And I'm up real close because since it's an 85 mil lens, I'm able to get like real close to their mouth. So I'm far enough away from that source that once we covered the, the the ping of that canvas, it wasn't a ping, it wasn't metal, it was more of a pa. Of that canvas um, and turned it to the cotton little more, they were like more like dups now. Right. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really hard to hear. And then as, as you know, during your, your use or your learning of, of shooting things on a shotgun mic, they're really, really directional mm-hmm. microphones. So then my job was as the location recorder is to position yourself so that the the source, the recording source is as focused on the 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 actor's mouth as possible with the added uh, angle of, of pointing the rear of that microphone as far away from that the noise as possible. So basically the case, you just, I flipped over to the other side and made, made sure that the mic was pointing away, so far away from the camera, mm-hmm. but at the actors, instead of pointing the mic at actors with the rear of the mic pointing towards the camera where you might pick up some, a little bit of that, that noise in the, in the back of the microphone. Right. And the angle is, I mean, that is so much of your job is just finding that right angle so that you're picking up everything so that, you know, if two people are having a conversation, one's not a lot louder than the other one and everything's got to stay balanced. But there's another challenge, I think, to it, too, is that while you're trying to monitor the sound through the headphones, it's also happening right in front of you. So you're hearing it in the headphones, but you're also hearing it outside of the headphones at the same time. Yes, sir. That is so that you, man, I love that you're highlighting all of these wonderful challenges where to anyone else, as we're trying to figure this out, they're, they're all, all you hear is, oh, we're waiting on sound. And while well, we're trying to figure out these, these really <laughs> technical things, and it's like, yeah. like everyone's sat and waited for three hours while we lit the scene. They waited for another hour while a talent went through 
make a video. They're just waiting, but I couldn't do any of that until we got talent in, cameras up, yeah. and I could see where the frame is so I could figure out how close I can get. And now I get to do my job, but everyone's done. And they're just waiting for me. So we get 30 seconds where the other departments get an hour. But that 30 seconds feels like an hour because we just waited four hours for the whole scene to be set up. And it's, right. It is the yeah. plight of the sound engineer. But you know what? That's, uh, that's happened even on a lot of the theater gigs that I've done when I'm running audio. Is like nobody nobody wants to give time to audio to set it up properly. They'll give time to lighting. They'll give time to wardrobe and makeup. But nobody wants to to give the audio any time. And, uh, you know, one gig that I did, I was brought in on emergency and I had 16 people, uh, with mics that were uh, speaking and singing. And then I had a 16 piece orchestra and I'm walking in blind doing a show I've never seen before. I've never been to any of the rehearsals and I literally had two songs and then they opened the doors for, uh, you know, for the show. And, oh my goodness. So you had to work 32 inputs in two, two songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, crap. and but as soon as something goes wrong, even the people that you know that they hire you, they look at you like this shouldn't be happening. Why is this horrible sound happening? Like, well, I'm getting a little bit of feedback because I just got here. You know, right. like, I don't know the block. And there's 32 mics with potential to be in things with each other. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a second. But, but that's what I don't get. But then but then they'll also say on the backside of it, the audio has to be good because if it isn't, it'll ruin the show or it'll ruin the film or we're going to have to do a lot of ADR to fix bad audio. If you just take a little bit of time to, to set it up and do it right, you're going to save yourselves hours of agony later. Right. You know, right. But, but so many people just don't seem to get that. And even after they've learned it on film after film after film, you know, I've worked with directors that have done tons of film and they still will send me audio that's got, you know, all kinds of pops and clicks in it and things that shouldn't be there and people talking in the background. And I'm like, how do you not know? This is like your 10th or 11th film. How do you not know how right. important this is? That is so true. It totally reminds me of another thing. And, you know, to the, to the director's credit or the producer or the AD's credit, there's a million things going on. And, and even sound, the sound's credit, there's always there's a lot of things going on. So to, to judge something in a, in, by looking at one frame of that situation is always comes with complete caveats and, and warnings and whatnot. But anyway, um, I, the same thing, like uh, I was working with a producer director who had some experience, many, many, many things. And we did a take, we're out in the woods. And it's a older piece. I think it was 19, early 1900s. Uh, but an airplane went over during a take. And that's, you know, of, of all the 101, tech, uh, you know, sound recording 101 things, like, you got to redo it because an airplane went over. So I just, you know, politely, with my little mouse voice, I don't want to interrupt. You know, obviously, never interrupt the take. I always wait until after a take. Because um, even if some part of the sound is bad, we may get the perfect little snip of a certain piece of a line that we're trying to get. So I never interrupt the take. But after the take, I, I, you know, before we moved on, I said to the director, uh, we had, we had a pretty heavy airplane noise through relatively 80% of that take. Um, just letting you know, but I suggest we redo it. And, but, and, but the, the retort was, Oh, there were airplanes back then. It's okay. And I, and like, but I don't want to fight with you right now, but that's, that's not why. That's not why I brought it up. Like I know an airplane sound would be delightful in the scene and probably add to it. But good luck cutting that up. Yeah. In the edit. Yeah. <laughs> because it was really long and it was two people 
in the conversation and uh, the airplane wasn't over all of it. And even if it were, certainly isn't the same frequency throughout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and unless you can time the next take to where the airplane is exactly where it was, you know, the next one that's flying over, it's not going to work. And I think there's, right, there's right. a certain level of impatience or excitement or we have to stick to the schedule no matter what. And if you're if you're shooting that tight, and you better have some really good strategies of how you're going to deal with that in post, because to take a couple of minutes to do an extra take uh, over doing, you know, bringing the actors in to do ADR in the studio, whereas they might not be available. They might be off on another film or, you know, out of the country shooting. And how are you going to get that? Right. And there's so much more money to do it in post and into ADR. Oh yeah. That's, but that's why I'm always so nervous to talk to editors. Uh, when, when the film is shot and the film goes to the editor and the editors worked on it for a little while and they're, they're getting ready to send me a rough cut. I'm so nervous to talk to the editor the first time because I'm afraid of what he's found in the audio. And I know that I don't want to know, but at the same point I have to know, I have to know what I'm dealing with. Right. You know, but you could tell just by how hateful they sound, because if it's, if it's really bad, they're just like, <laughs> they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to. They don't even want to admit that they've been a part of the project, and I, I can't blame them. <laughs> yeah, you know. But now, of course, now we live in a world where you can take an airplane out, and it, it's really amazing the kind of things we do now. But I would never shoot anything banking on the fact that I would be able to remove that airplane. Right, right. Yeah, you can you're right. You and I'm I'm barely touching the scratch in the surface on on the, the post production tool and and you can do but I've seen your a post or two of yours and or even in in late night chats with you. Like I would walk away from a conversation with you here and there and think, Holy crap, how did Scott get rid of X? Right. I thought that was just not possible. You know, this is just not done. But yeah, we're yeah, and I didn't I didn't mind that so much except that I was still talking when you walked away. So that kind of bothered me. <laughs> You're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean for for an example, uh, a friend of mine gave me a song that was recorded uh live in a theater and the theater was very echoey. And for some reason, this singer kept banging their face on the mic or their head on the mic or something because I kept hearing all these just like thump sounds that should not have been there. And that's the only thing oh, I, could, I could equate it to is that they kept banging the mic on something, but it didn't, it didn't sound like a hard surface. It sounded softer. So I, I think it was like their face or their body or something, which I can't even picture them doing. So she, she gave it to me and said, if there's anything that you can do with it, let me know. And I said, well, I've got some tools. Let me, let me give it a shot. So I was working with uh, Isotope RX Advanced, which I think was, I, and I think it's still the, the same version I have, version four, which I really need to upgrade. But uh, it took me a little while to find just the right frequencies. But I was actually able to take out every single pop and you would never know they were there. Like there wasn't a hole in the reverb. There wasn't uh, just a sudden burst of excess reverb. Um, from taking the pop out, but not the corresponding reverb. Like it just, everything I found just perfectly. And I, to, to an extent that was an element of luck because I kind of feel like I just fell into a couple of them, but it really is right. amazing what we can do now. Um, I was just, I just did a, a podcast not too long ago working with Audionamics, uh new uh, separation tool where you can separate drums, vocals, and then all other music sources. And I well, saw you post about that and thought that was, 
magical to even hear that that's possible. Yeah, it's called Extract Stems, and it's absolutely amazing to hear what the software can do. And I mean, it's not perfect, but this because it's still new technology. And I don't know if they'll ever really be able to perfect that because there's a lot of crossover in frequencies. Um, guitar could be a percussive instrument depending on how you pluck it. So it might take some of that and throw it into the drum track versus keeping it in the melodic track. But, right. but, but the fact that we can even do that kind of stuff, but I would never, like I said, I would never shoot a film based on the fact that, oh yeah, I know I could take that plane out in post-production. So I'm just going to, we're not going to do a safety uh, shot or anything. I'm just, that was a good take. So we're just going to go with it. I, I can't imagine feeling secure enough in, in digital tools to do that. Right. Especially knowing that you're, you're, uh, you're on, you're, you're there. We're there. Let's get it. You know, we're, we're, yeah. let's, let's, let's spend a couple hundred bucks versus a couple thousand or, you know, let's spend a couple thousand instead of a couple ten thousand. Right. Or if it's the other 90% of the movies that you worked on, it's not going to come out anyway. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, that's a solid, you make a solid point there. Like even in that situation where, the, the director or or producer or AD or whoever says, oh, don't worry about it. That's fine. Like the rest of the day and or the rest of the shoot now, my mindset is, well, the, now how close of a filter do I want to put on the things that I'm hearing? Because, you know, for the real, real meticulous folks in production, like we could reshoot something for every tiny little bit of thing that goes wrong. But but if we're, we're going to get reshooting a thing because of an airplane, well, I don't even have to worry about whether I'm on axis or not, it works for half of the shot because there's, it's like reference audio at this point because right, we're going to have yeah. to reshoot it or yeah. re-record it. So, so yeah, it, it can not only technically change the, the, the vibe of a shoot, but I mean, in morale and, and all of the, the, the it, personal interactions and yeah, it's a, it's a, Tangled web we weave here. The tangled wave. It's almost like saying, "Hey, can can we retake this?" Because I didn't realize that I had the mic pointing up instead of down, and the director coming back to you and saying, "Well, yeah, we'll just boost the volumes." Like, no, it's a whole different sound. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was at crafty, and I wasn't even here. Should we do that, or are you good with what I didn't record? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just use that as a backup take in case we need to, you know, match up a visual or something. Yeah, it's so, it's so frustrating because you're, you're a guy of quality. Like, if you're going to put your name on something. And I, I like to think that I'm the same as that. But if you're going to put your name on something, you want it to be the best it can be. And if you know that you've missed something or you could do something better, you want the opportunity to give that that best of you. And it's something right. that's going to stay with you all the time. So if you're not in an environment where you're able to make sure that things are the best they can be, it 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 becomes really hard to maintain that level of integrity when you know that you're surrounded by people that not necessarily the whole crew, but maybe just the attitude of the people in control of the film uh, aren't setting the same standard. Right. And then you're working to a, you're working within a mold that's not yourself and, and you're not going to produce the the work that you can produce because you're, you're, uh, yeah, you're just cutting the corners where, where you're not used to doing that. Yeah. And I can't even imagine taking it to the level of an actor, say being on, on a set that's that way. How do you give performance after performance? You know, if if the girl that was giving birth didn't trust the director, how many takes would she have done that would have really had that believability to it? 
you know, Dude, you just opened up thread number five in this conversation. <laughs> and, and I know it didn't come out in any introduction or conversation yet, but my, I didn't, excuse me, I didn't even start in audio. My first roles in film were, were on stage. I did improv for many, many, many years. Oh, that's right. I did music, music. Yeah. So my, my beginnings in the film world are all on camera on the other side. And, but that now working in the tech field, uh, having that experience, it, a, it gives me a lot of great things to work from in the technical role, you know, like, so when I'm, uh, as a sound engineer working with an actor and micing up the actor, I, I get to think like actor and, and respect their space. If it's a, if it's an emotional role, you know, I'm not going to be coming off Jojo for the person who's going into the third emotional scene of the day. You know, just because it's we're on a break and I'm working on your mic. Hey, how's it going out there? You know, no. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. all all that aside, um, and speaking back to what you were just saying about uh, playing in the realm of low quality, one of my biggest pet peeves on any set is when when we're pushing in for close. We just did our wide shots, and the scene was great. We got emotion out of both. It's a two person conversation in this scenario. I've got great emotion out of both of them, but now we're going to push in for close-ups. And amateur actor A is not going to be on camera. We're going to push in for the close-ups on an 85 millimeter on, on, on actor B. And actor A steps out and asks the director, do you need me in this shot? Because I'm not on camera. We're going to walk away. So what does that do to your partner, your scene partner? You know, now they have to, I mean, it's the job of an actor to be able to play to their fullest, even if their scene partner's not there. Right. But my goodness, be there for the person because that's that that's the organic, it, it, the the nuances of two humans interacting that gets caught on camera versus the person saying lines on camera with the other person not there. You can see it a mile, three hundred miles away. You oh, know, I could, sure. I could. And they can. There's a certain amount of editing that you can do to to bring back the you know to compensate for that but if the if the re- emotion isn't there in the responses it can be difficult and and now i'm going to tell you an embarrassing story about me on one of the very few times that i was an actor uh i was asked by a friend of mine to be in the in this film and i played a henchman which is so out of character for me that's it's like the only reason i can call myself an actor is because i'm not a henchman type like big buff person and I have to treat this person very badly. And, um, and again, that's not typically me unless I have a reason to. So, uh, we were doing take after take after take, and then they were doing a a shot from a different angle. So, uh, I was in a van and I was in the passenger seat in the van for the, the takes that I was in, but then they wanted to shoot a different angle. So I climbed into the back of the van and I'm just like laying down and I'm I'm listening and my lines came up and I completely forgot every single word I had to say. I just like drew a complete blank and blew the whole take. And I had done like take after take after take perfectly, like every word perfect. And then this one take where I'm not on screen, I just I just drew a blank. And I felt so horrible because, I mean, I know it's not like we're rolling tape and I just wasted like 65 feet of analog tape, but it's time, it's people's patience. We're in the van, it's in the summertime, it's hot, Um, you know, so many elements going on. And I, you know, you really do have a a big responsibility to everyone that you work with when it comes to things like that. 
That's very true. And you brought that you highlight a fantastic point. And like when you're out of the context of that conversation and that dialogue, they just become words. And now they're really easy to forget as you yeah. lay prone in the backseat, thankful for this final, finally getting a break on probably what was a long day. And they always are, you know, so, so your mind is nowhere but these words. But when you're in the eye to eye moment and having that position, you, you have this, this layer of energy that you continually draw upon the, the second, third, fourth, and fifth wind to, to get through it. So yeah, you, you highlight a, a fascinating thing there well thank you oh, i love this stuff <laughs> fortunately i didn't get fired although while while my mind was blank the only thoughts i did have was yeah i just lost my job on this film <laughs> i mean no I, I hadn't because i they had already shot the majority of my stuff this was just a pickup shot from you know one of the other characters but i mean i really felt so responsible because i don't i don't like anybody having to wait on me for anything and um even though there's times where it's completely reasonable uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just felt really responsible. And then of course I'm like, oh, the editor's just going to laugh when he hears this. And, <laughs> but the, the, the editor was the director. So he, he was, nah, there. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's good. I really appreciate the, the depth of, of what a sound recordist does and, um, every little thing. I mean, if you angle that mic slightly wrong, it changes the, the sound. It, it gives the audience a completely different perception of, where they are as a viewer watching those two people talk at a table. If you lean the mic uh, more towards the left than the right, and they feel like they're visually they're in the center, but in the audio, they're hearing more of the person on the left and they're not talking louder. They're, they feel like they're closer to them and the audio doesn't match the visual, which can completely bring them out of the enjoyment of the film. It's very, very true. And that's a, uh, that's an, almost an ideal situation because um, in most cases, not only are you, are you changing the position in the stereo field where that person's working by moving the mic around, but you're also in a shotgun mic uh, or a condenser type hypercardioid that you're going to be using in that close quarters. Um, you could probably just edit that out. Let me start over. This is the first time I've started something over. And I love this. You know why? Because uh, I just heard a car outside and, and, and it totally pulled me out of this conversation. So oh, great. You Maybe you clap or something and put a spike in the audio wave. Clap. To cut that out. But anyway, what I was going to say is, is, so it's, that's almost an ideal situation just having to deal with the person's voice in a different stereo field because with a, with a sensitive directional microphone, you're also picking up whatever the background is where you're pointing that mic. So, so, so if it's two people at a table, there might be a refrigerator running on one side, but a refrigerator running on the other. So if you're playing tennis, going back and forth, catching their voices, it's going to have, you're going to find that you have a, a, a wildly different room tone under the voice in one situation versus the other. So I, a lot of times I've seen rookie sound engineers, um, following the dialogue with the microphone and that's, it depends every situation is different and you might be able to get away with that but I try to avoid it I try to find I try to find home and stay home during a take so that we're not varying that that background noise behind the dialogue mm -hmm. uh, which is just as complicated to edit later as the dialogue will be well, that and, and the fact that if you are playing that tennis match where you're just turning the mic, okay, person on the left is talking, now person on the right is talking, and you're angling it to catch all of the conversation, somebody's going to say their line a little too fast, 
and you're going to miss it and it's going to make the audio seem really weird. Or you yep. know, somebody is going to going to jump the the next line because the other person didn't respond fast enough, and they're going to start their next line, and now you've got the mic pointed at the other person. Like it just it it's a real risky game to, yeah. to try and do that. I've tried it, and that's that's why I can say that because I tried it, and I realized what a what a just a fool's errand it was to try and get anything clean that way. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's tough. Well, great. You learned you learned some empirical data there very well. <laughs> I did, and I learned that I'm not cut out for that kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It took me seven years, but I've learned the same thing. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. And, you know, but but it's it's definitely an interesting job. And uh, but uh, yeah, it's something that the, that comes with an incredible amount of responsibility to the film. And uh, it's something that you really at least need to understand how to be creative on the fly and really combat issues, like you said, uh, about the rain and the wind and things like that, or just, you know, the the hum of a refrigerator, if you can't pull the plug on the refrigerator, because we I've had that too, where I've been on locations and we there's certain things we can't move, we can't get to the power. So, uh, and we don't know what breaker it's on. So we're just stuck with, okay, well, we're going to try and shoot around it, but if you can't turn off the refrigerator, that motor's still going to run and you're going to get it in sound. Right. And that's a killer, especially, you know, it's not as bad, especially with the earlier in the program, you talked about so many tools that we have available now at our disposal to, to remove noises, especially consistent ones like an air conditioner or refrigerator. But the trouble is if it's, if it's on and off, on and off during a take now, now you've got, the wildly inconsistent sound of, of the qu- nice quiet room that you wish you had the whole time and that those wonderful lines that you need, but have the refrigerator behind it. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of a story. If I, if, if I may oh, share yeah. yet another. <laughs> so, uh, this is fun. When you do turn off a refrigerator, one of the biggest and most forgotten items on a set is turning the refrigerator back on. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. It is because there's a billion things going on. You're usually through a bunch of hours. You're happy to be moving on to the next location. If you're lucky, it's the end of the day and the last location. Wrapping out all your gear. The last thing we remember almost all the time is the refrigerator. But uh, a key to remembering that, pun <laughs> not intended, but now intended, is uh, to put your keys in the refrigerator so that you can't leave until you go back to the refrigerator oh. to get your keys to leave. Well, not even the story. The fun story is with a new sound engineer that did that very thing, you know, uh, turn the refrigerator off, grab a set of keys, put it in the fridge so that, you know, before he got in his car, he realized he couldn't get home without the keys. Well, there's a minor detail in this trick, and that is, they have to be car keys that go into the refrigerator, <laughs> not your house keys. Oh, man, I know where this <laughs> is going. Because putting the house keys into the refrigerator still allows you to leave the set, and that's exactly what happened. Like, I couldn't get into the house because it was a separate set of keys. Oh, man. Oh, that <laughs> and hurts. That does hurt because you just... You know, who knows? I'm sure it was an hour drive because Murphy's Law yeah. mandates that such things have to happen. If you're already happening like that. And, uh, well, yeah, put 13 hours, uh, portal, portal, and then another 45 minutes home to realize you uh, locked all your windows and can't sneak into your own house and have to drive an hour back to get 
wake up the homeowner and get the key. Yeah, and it's locked <laughs> yeah. and there's no one home. And <laughs> yeah, that that's just oh, messy. So there's that story. But and the worst part of it is that you were doing the right thing. Like you were you were being intelligent. You were being respectful. You're like, I'm going to do this so that I make sure I take care of this person and turn the refrigerator back on. And you were doing it right. You just did it the wrong way. Right. And in full and selfish disclosure, this was a story, secondhand story that was told to me. This was not me. You know, I'm telling it for a friend. I didn't. <laughs> I was the one who put the house keys in the refrigerator, thankfully. Oh, okay. Um, I just do. But I do it even worse. Like, I just, I say I'm good enough. I don't need to put the keys in the fridge. And I have uh, been known to leave a set and forget to turn the refrigerator on. And I remember this one. This I, I can't remember what the shoot was, but... The older woman, and she couldn't figure out her fridge. And I said, "Oh, I know. I've if I know one thing as a sound engineer, it's refrigerators." And I told her, "Trust me, I can turn your fridge off with no problem." And I got, I turned it off perfectly. And she's like, "I didn't even know where that switch was." And so I, anyway, um, I forgot to turn it back on, and oh, I had yeah. to look up. I didn't remember how the heck to turn it back to teach her how to turn it on over the phone because uh, the poor woman, I, I forgot that I, I didn't do the key trick. And right. yeah. She, and meanwhile, she just happy. wasted her, her month of Omaha steak order. That's what's really, that's what really hurt me there. And I was like, honestly, and legitimately was sad. Like, oh, she, her, she didn't realize until whenever it was and possibly lost food. And yeah. that made me sick. But yeah, yeah. And, and those those things are certainly unfortunate. The, the challenge is, is that you've got so many things going on and you, you're under time pressures. And then by the time that the day's over, you're just done and you just want to get home. Um, but I like I like the idea of the keys for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would just wonder why did they have their house keys on one ring and their car keys on another ring that were completely isolated from each other that allowed them to do that? That's what's fascinating, and and even worse, maybe they had it like on a carrier where where they just took the house keys, thinking that they wanted to have their car keys accessible, not realizing that yeah, it's just just so many questions. So many yeah, questions. see, and this is what I get like because I spend so much time alone, my brain just kind of wanders into those territories of why it's it's not even just what the thing is, it's why did that thing become that way. And then I want to know everything about that and then how that happened and how those things happened that made the other thing happen. And yeah, it's a good thing. Right, I have exactly a how many occupy my time. It is to, to <laughs> occupy your time. All right. Now tell me in all honesty, how do you not just want to hang out with this guy all the time? I mean, just sit down, have a beer, talk, whatever, go on a field recording. How do you not want to hang out with this guy? He's, he's just awesome. Great ball of energy. Really, really amazing soul. And uh, keep an eye out for uh, part two of the interview where we go into his, uh, his new facet of life, which I'm very excited about. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. podcast. Please remember to like, share, leave a, a rating, a review, uh, whatever you like to help me get the word out and join the Haskin Cast podcast Facebook group. Link is in the show notes for a monthly drawing. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.